Uh, Robbie alluded to it in the announcements, but we are seated at round tables today because this is the greatest uh, ladies' event of all year. It's called the Ladies' Christmas Tree, which I call the 2023 Estrogen Extravaganza. So... We're going to be taking care of them tonight. It's going to be a spectacular night. If you didn't sign up, I'm sorry because it is full, so you can't just really show up because it's full. Uh, there, there will be about 375 women in here, and then a bunch of men, a bunch of us men are going to help by serving them and taking care of things. So if you want to serve men, you can come and help us with serving. Just be here about 4.30, and you can help us with that. Now, I say that because I, 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 I want you to understand something. I am not not uh, a fan of men who beat their wives. In fact, I think they're cowards. I think they deserve a good beating, but there's exceptions to the rule. There are, there's a time and a place for everything. And you say, where's this preacher going about beating women? Okay, here it is. There will be about uh, uh, 375 women here tonight. And in January, we're having a men's event. This is our opportunity, men, to beat our wives. We need to have over 500 men at this event. You got a QR code, men. Get your phones out, men. It's time to register. Just go ahead, get men, get your phone out. And men, if you don't have your phone, women, get your phone out and register your husband. Seriously, get your phone out. If you haven't registered, get your phone out. Point it up here at this. This is a QR code, men. If you don't know how to do it, get your 12-year-old to do it for you. Okay? Scan that thing. It will open up a page for you to register for, for the men's event. Right now, we probably got 50 people registered. By the end of the day, we should have 250 men registered for this event. We have Rich Froning, who was a four or five-time world CrossFit, which I call CussFit champion. Okay? He's a stud. He's, he's, he's an amazing guy. He's going to challenge us as men. And then we got Scott Cagle, who's a friend of mine, senior pastor at North Star Church. He's going to challenge us, and we're going to sharpen ourselves as men together. It's going to be a great day, a great evening. I want you to be here for it. So got that out of the way. It's time to preach, all right? <clears throat> now, hopefully you got registered because I've taken a little a screenshot in my head, and so I'm going to look for your name today. If it's not on there, I may call you. So we are in the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 4. Clark preached from chapter four. I did chapter four last week. This is part two of the message from chapter four. The series is called, Can I Get a Witness? And so what we're talking about here is the church. And the church found its birth, its origin, about 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. And uh, it's been going strong. And you are circled around tables or in the back row on, in rows because they did it right. Because they did what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus says anything, it matters. When Jesus declares anything, he is going to, he's obligated to fulfill what it is he said he's going to do. So he's building his church. And there is a moment in time when the church will no longer grow. And it's all over. When Jesus returns for his church, it is the beginning of that end. And so we have a limited time to be engaged in changing the world through the name and, and, the, and the redemption plan of Jesus Christ. And so that's what this is all about. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus told his followers, which was just a small group of, of, of guys and women who were, who were Christians. And, and the word Christian simply means one who follows the teachings of Jesus. That's, if you declare yourself as a Christian, it means you are supposed to follow the teaching of Jesus. That's what it means. It's not a religion. It's not an organization. It's not a ticket punch to heaven. It means you follow the teaching 
of Jesus. And so he said, Jesus said, I want you guys, you, you few followers, I want you to stay right here in Jerusalem uh, because I'm going to go prepare a place and I'm going to send somebody else. I got to go so he can come. And the one who came was the Holy Spirit of God. And he told him, he said, he is going to come on you and you will be my witnesses here and around the world. The reason the Holy Spirit came is to empower those who follow Jesus, who call themselves Christians, empower them to share his story. The story of grace and the story of of redemption and the story of love to the world. And they did it. And they did it well. Now, since they did it well, they received the Holy Spirit, they started talking, man, you, you, you couldn't shut them up. And, and so miracles are happening. Lame people are walking. Uh, uh, deaf people are hearing. Blind people are seeing. Hearts are changed. Literally, in the Bible, thousands of people are receiving the grace gift of Jesus Christ into their life, changing them from the inside out and changing their eternal destiny. I mean, this thing is big and it's happening. Well, now, because it's happening so fast and it's getting so large, the religious community and the political community, they they get uncomfortable. They're They're not delighted in all of the good things that are happening. I mean, they're cool with a miracle. They're cool with a crippled man walking, but they just, let's leave the name of Jesus out. And so what has happened is Peter and John uh, are just telling everybody about Jesus. Sure, a crippled man got got to walk, but let me tell you about Jesus. They will not shut up about Jesus' name. And I want you to understand something. 2,000 years later, it's the same. You see, 2,000 years later, you can talk about anything you want to do. You can do good deeds, all that you want to do, and you will not be persecuted. But when you uh, bring up the name of Jesus Christ, it changes the complexion of the conversation in the world, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, uh, wherever you find yourself. You start talking about Jesus a lot. People are going to push back. Now, we learned last week that although most of us are at some level compromised in our Christianity, compromised in how well we follow the teachings of Jesus, the more we are compromised, the less impact we will have on our world. The more we are compromised, though, the less persecution we will receive. But we learned last week that persecution is a shortcut to blessing. That Jesus said, blessed is the one who's persecuted. So instead of running from pushback, running from persecution, we ought to step into it. Because when stepping into persecution for the name of Jesus Christ, God honors that and he will whisper blessings in our life. Now sometimes they don't come immediately, but they do in fact come according to scripture. And so so we're talking about How can we live a bold Christian life in the world that we live in? On the back of your life guide, it's called Motivated for Radical Christianity. Now, let me explain something about that title. That word radical seems like a a, a hard word or an aggressive word. Radical by definition means this. It means very different from the usual or the traditional. So here's, here's my point in naming chapter four, this message, uh, motivated for radical Christianity. It's motivated to be different than normal Christianity. Motivated uh, to be different from traditional 
Christianity, motivated to be unusual compared to other people who proclaim the name Christianity. And I believe of all the times in our history, next to the early church era, when they were under persecution, I think more than ever, listen to me, Christians, I believe this world needs to see some Christians who are different than the traditional normal, normal mode. This world needs to see some people who radically believe that Jesus is the king of the universe and he came to change and save the world. And that message comes through us, or it's supposed to. And so how do we get motivated? Well, obviously we said persecution brings a blessing, so a blessing serves as a motivation. I mean, at your job, if they say you, if you do a good job, we're going to give you a raise, that's a blessing, and, and so that's a motivation. So that should and could potentially be enough. But in the early church, they were on fire, and this thing was spreading like a wild fire. And so what motivated them? Was it just the blessings that they felt in the persecution? I don't think so. I think we can identify eight things to motivate us to be radical Christians, to be different than normal, traditional Christians. Uh, things that can motivate us to color outside the lines and allow God to use us in a more significant, more impactful way than he ever has before because this world needs it. And so last week, we identified the first two on the back of your life guide. The first one was Jesus conquered our death. In, in Acts chapter four, verses 10 through 11, it talks about Jesus rose from the dead. This was the bone of contention to the religious community and to the political community that they're talking about this real story, that here's a man who said he was God, we killed him on a cross, and he got up out of that grave, walked around for 40 days, revealed himself to thousands of people, jumped on a cloud, and ascended to heaven. Everybody knew that happened. Everybody, believers and non-believers, they all knew it happened. They just wanted to sweep it under the rug. And along comes this early church and they said, that ain't happening, we won't talk about it because it's the coolest thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind. And so they began to proclaim the name of Jesus and his resurrection. And so motivation number one is this, that Jesus has conquered our death. One of the greatest fears in life is dying. It always hits the top five list. You don't have to worry about that as a Christian. Will you die physically? Only if Jesus doesn't come back first. But even if you die physically, you will not die spiritually. You'll be ushered into the presence of God. The Bible says absent from the body, present with the Lord. We will be alive with Jesus forever in heaven. And then we'll come back, receive a glorified body, and we'll be with Jesus on this earth during the millennial reign, a thousand years. And so we live forever. That's a good motivating factor. Why? Because it changed us. And if it changed us, we want everybody to know about it. We want everybody to be participants in that amazing gift of grace that changes our life and makes it, uh, it ultimately makes us, brings us immortality. Number two motivation, Jesus converts our heart. In verse 12, he said, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. Jesus converted our heart. Here's a good motivator, okay? I love people, I just do. They, they don't have to agree with me, I still love them. You know, when I turn on the news and I, 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 I hear about the Palestinians and I hear about the Israelis, I love both of those sides, okay? For the, for the most part, both of those teams are lost. 
Israel is not Christian, they're Jews. Jews, for the most part, are people who rejected their Messiah, okay? I still love them. I want them to be saved. I want them to meet Jesus. I want them to spend eternity in heaven with me. The Palestinians are the same. They don't know Jesus. For the most part, they are lost. They don't, hadn't received Jesus as the Messiah or the Savior of their life, and they will die and spend eternity in hell. I still love them. I want them to meet Jesus. I want them to spend eternity in heaven. In our own neighborhood, we go down, we feed the homeless. Some of them are homeless uh, because of the circumstances of their life. They just can't seem to get out of it. Some of them are homeless because of choice. Some of them are homeless because they're hopeless hopelessly addicted to some substance and you know what our disposition is toward all of them we love them amen Chrissy Bill we love them why because God loves them and our goal is for them not to die in their sin but to meet this man named Jesus who defeated and conquered death rose from the grave and offers us all salvation and forever life and so Jesus converts our heart when we get that we want to share it it's it becomes a demonstration Number three on the back of your life guide, Jesus, the motivation for living a radical Christian life, Jesus cancels our fears. Many times the reason we don't speak up for Jesus, the reason we don't give a witness, the reason we don't testify, the, the reason simply that we just don't speak truth in a culture, in a circle, in a conversation of lies is because we are afraid we are afraid. And you'll remember, I liked it. Most, a lot of people didn't like it because it was not grammatically or phonetically or whatever the word is correct. But I remember a bumper sticker, a window sticker said, ain't scared. Right? That's what, of all people in the world, the Christian community should wear that bumper sticker that says, ain't scared. Because you can't kill me. Okay, I'm going to heaven. You're going to threaten me with death. Okay, I ain't scared. Uh, God is my provider, not the world. So it takes away, it, it disarms the enemy's tactic to back us down, to cower us in fear. Here's what it says in this particular case, 2,000 years ago. It says, when they saw the boldness, that Greek word is parousia, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and discovered that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized these men had been with Jesus. Now here it is. This is encouraging because these people who are radically changing the world in the name of Jesus Christ, these people who are bringing on this onslaught of persecution upon themselves, it says they were uneducated and they were ordinary. You know what that means? There's room for all of us. It means every one of us can be included in bold, radical Christianity. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to be particularly educated. Okay, you can just be cut of the normal cloth. Just your everyday human being, God wants to use you in his kingdom agenda. Now, what's the key? The key is right here. They're ordinary, they're uneducated, but they also noticed in their boldness, it was because they had spent time with Jesus. You wanna know how to push through the cowardice living that we have often in our Christian life? Spend more time with Jesus. That's what they had done. I mean, they had walked with Jesus for three years. They saw Jesus perform miracle after miracle. I mean, over nature, over uh, sickness, over everything. Over the spiritual realm, Jesus just demonstrated that he was God. They saw that with their own eyes. They saw Jesus be brutally 
and, and uh, unmercifully murdered on a cross at Calvary. They saw him rise from the dead. They saw him ascend back to heaven. And now the reason that they're talking about this great man, God man called Jesus, they hung out with Jesus. So how do we, how do we put ourselves in that posture, in that position so that we can be bold in our Christianity? Spend time with Jesus. It's the same for us. How do we do that? Read his Bible. Read this book. The scripture says this about this word and about Jesus. It says, Jesus is the word made flesh. Yeah. Jesus is this book with skin on it. Okay? He fulfilled everything. He said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to complete it. I came to fulfill it. You want to know more about Jesus? You read this book. Now, how else can we do it? Pray. We pray to God. We have a relationship with God. Jesus is our adversary. Jesus is our intercessor. And so when we spend time in this book and we spend time in prayer, it emboldens us. It, it, it takes away that fear that we have in our life. We said it before, and you notice it right here in Acts. You do not have to have all of the answers to the questions of the world. You only need to know the answer to the question that nobody knows how to ask, and that is Jesus. You know, when you're a kid, the answer to every question in Bible school or Sunday school is Jesus, right? You go out on a limb, Jesus, you know, and you stand a pretty good chance getting it right. Well, the truth is, in our life as adults, the answer is still who? Jesus. And so we've got to learn to proclaim that. We've got to learn to steer conversations away from the lunacy of trying to answer unanswerable questions and steer it in a direction whose name is Jesus. At the end of the day, it's not what we bring to the equation. It's who we bring to the equation, and his name is Jesus. And so it goes on <clears throat> further down in 4. I want to read verses 29 through 31. It says, now they're praying. In the middle of the persecution, okay, when, when, when things push back in your life, how do you respond? What do we do? We pray. You know, it doesn't mean you say time out and we take a knee and we, oh God, we just pray in King James English. It doesn't mean that. It means that we simply pray. Often, Kendra and I will have a conversation where we don't agree. I hear married people sometimes say, oh, my wife and I, we've never argued. No, but you lie. Okay? So we'll have a conversation where we disagree and then so it's a, it's a disagreement. It'd be an argument is what it'd be. And sometimes they go south. Now, I know nobody in here has ever experienced this, but Kendra and I can be just doing just fine. We're sitting on the couch having just a good old time. Something comes up. Next thing you know, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, the devil himself just jumped on the couch with us, right? And there have been times, and I hope it's me, and sometimes it is, and sometimes it's Kendra, where you got to raise your hand and say, hold on, time out. We need to pray over this thing right here because the devil just jumped in the middle of it. Persecution, when you're under persecution and you feel pushback, it's a good time just to, just to pray. In your spirit, just say, God, just help me with this because I'm looking at the devil, okay? Okay, and I, maybe I am the devil right now, but I need some help up in here, all right? And he will come to your rescue. So it says this, he says, Lord, pay attention to their threats and grant to your service that we can get out of here without getting hurt. Is that on the board back here? Yeah, it didn't say that there either. And it doesn't say it in the Bible. It says, grant to your servants to speak your message with great parousia, great courage, while you extend your hand to heal and to bring about miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, when they had prayed, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God courageously, parousia, bold, a freedom to speak, a confidence to speak, an assurance to speak. Listen to me, every Christian in here, I know there's times when you're afraid to speak the truth because you're afraid somebody will ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. Listen to me, I wanna liberate you. Don't worry about that foolishness. That comes from the camp of the enemy. You don't have to have all of the answers to the foolish questions of this world. If you know Jesus, you can say, I don't know the answer to the question, but I know somebody who does, and his name is Jesus. And no matter when that stuff that we don't understand happens, I'm, in, I'm on team Jesus, and he's going to take care of me, and he'll take care of you too. You see, they want, they want you to answer questions that they're longing to know the answer to that they can't sort through and figure out themselves. At the end of the day, you have the answer. It may not be packaged like they want it to be packaged, but you have it, and his name is Jesus. And so the closer we get to Jesus through prayer and Bible study, the more Jesus cancels our fears. I just like boldness. I, I, we've all spent times in cowardice as a Christian, right, where we didn't stand up. We just felt just, just we couldn't do it. We didn't have a spine. We're, you know, that jellyfish Christian meandering around, getting beat up. It feels good to grow up as a Christian and let God place a spiritual spine in your life. It's liberating. Number four, Jesus confuses our opposition. He's got us in his hand. And often he'll confuse our opposition. Listen to what happens in verse 14. It says, because they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say against this because everybody likes a miracle. Verse 15, but when they had ordered them to go outside the council, they began to confer with one another saying, "Um, well, what should we do with these men? For it is plain to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable miraculous sign has come about through them and we cannot deny it. But to keep this matter from spreading any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So here's the deal. They didn't care about the miracle. They liked a guy who's 40 years old cripple who gets to walk now. Everybody likes that. They don't care if you do good deeds. They don't care if you give to Lottie Moon Christmas offering. They don't care if you packaged up some boxes to send around the world. They don't care if you help the people down the street with Christmas this year. They don't care if you buy coats for children who don't have one. They don't care if you support 11B. They don't care. That's totally fine. But stop talking about Jesus. And the Christian community is really good at doing good things without ever mentioning the name of Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. That's it right there. That's it. Because if you can get that tone when you invoke his name in a conversation, let me just tell you, Jesus is going to change this, you see. It changes for a long time. Um, the church feminized Jesus. I felt it growing up. Jesus is not a woman. Jesus has no problem with his pronoun. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus walked on this earth a perfect life knowing it was only done to 
qualify him to live a perfect death, to die a perfect death on a cross to pay the sin debt of yours and mine. Now, that's a man right there, okay? So don't be bashful or, or soft when using the name of Jesus. He is, in fact, God. Now, we're not bashful when we say the name God. Everybody throws God around. A celebrity wins a trophy. I like to thank God, which we don't know who that is for them, but that's what they say. It's okay. But for some reason, the name Jesus, you know the reason that Jesus' name is so awkward to be received is because there is power in that name. There's power in that name. It's the only name that can save. So it goes on in verse 18. It says, as they called them in and ordered them not to speak, or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, let me be clear here. What we're getting ready to see is civil disobedience. There's, there's many scriptures in, in the Bible that says, you and I as Christians should be model citizens. You should be the best American in, in, in the United States. You should be the best Tennessean in Tennessee. You should be the be best Knoxvillean or uh, Knox Countyan or whichever countyan you're part of. You should be the best one in the county. Why? Because God's standard moves you to work harder, to love harder, to live better, to help more. You're different than, than the normal. You should be better than the rest. You should be the best employee in your company because you are a Christian. Because scripture says you don't work as unto uh, man, you work as unto the Lord. And, and so you should be the best. But there's a place. When the government requires that we do something that the Bible says otherwise, it's time for civil disobedience. It's time to simply live for God and not for man. Will there be consequences? Sure there will. Could there be persecution? Probably so. But what do we already know from scripture? Follows persecution, blessing. So we press on in obedience to God. So that's what they're gonna do. Verse 16, this is how they say it. Now you're talking about bold. Listen to what they say. But Peter and John replied, uh, we hear what you're saying, your honors, but whether it is right before God to obey you rather than God, you decide. For it is impossible, not unlikely, not difficult, it is impossible for us to not speak about what we have seen and heard. You can put us in jail, you can beat us with the cat of nine tails. You can pull out our fingernails. You can tie us to a tree. But we can't shut up about what we've seen and heard because we know it's true and we know it changed our life. Civil disobedience. Number five, Jesus now motivates us when he calls us to stand together. Now listen to this next passage and listen to all the plural pronouns that are used. Are you ready? Verse 21. After threatening them further, they released them and they could not find how to punish them on account of the people because they were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this miraculous sign of healing had been performed was over 40 years old. Verse 23, when they were released, Peter and John went to their fellow believers and reported everything the high priest and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices to God with one mind and they said, do you hear that? 
This is the beauty of Christianity. God calls us out from being alone into a community of believers to do this gig together. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, that point, because we're sitting at round tables. Uh, look around your round table, unless you're in the front with Scott, who forgot his deodorant, apparently, and nobody's sitting there. Uh, you can look at another table. Look around this room. I want you to understand something, church. You and I are in this thing together. Together. Hey, we go to Africa uh, on mission with Keith and Tanya. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And we have mission trips everywhere. You should pray where God would have you go, and we'll help you get there, okay? But in Africa, this is what we see. You go out, when you go from one village to another, you have to go through the, through the safari, and uh, you see all the wild kingdom stuff, all the, the crazy stuff that's all right there in one place, and it's not fake. It's ridiculously cool. But there, we went by a, che- by a tree one day, and there's a cheetah. Cheetah probably weighs 75 pounds. He's up in a tree eating a zebra. Now, how did the zebra get in the tree? Little cheetah, man, he he climbed a tree with a zebra in his mouth. I mean, it freaked you out. You look up, a cheetah eating a zebra. Something's Something's wrong with this picture, okay? Now, do you know where he got that zebra? Right out of the middle of the herd of zebra, right? No. He doesn't look for the zebra in the middle of the herd. He looks for the silly rogue zebra it goes over here by itself. That's the guy he's going for, right? You've seen, the, you've seen the, 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 the television shows, the documentaries. And I want you to know something. Sometimes in the church, a Christian gets a little sideways. They get their underwear bunched up at somebody. They get a little frustrated. Well, they didn't call me. I didn't get invited. That's a, there's clicks over at that church. That preacher said something. Those people, I, he, ha, ha. Let me tell you where that comes from. You ready? The devil. The devil wants you to get offended by the group that God has called you to be together with because he knows if he can get you separated from the pack, you're vulnerable. You're pr- now you are his prey. So you need to, you need to be with. Listen, we, we should be uncomfortable in the world because it's not our home. This is just our temporary residence until we go home. And and until we go home, this should be the most comfortable place in your life, a place where people are called to be together to help one another. And And so as we read this, we understand there's a reason for it. We have a common goal. We operate on a common ground. We have a common God that brings us together. God calls us to do this life together. They were threatened together. They were, uh, they were blessed together. They were praising God together. They were released together. They celebrated together. They raised their voices to God together. And I want you to understand something. What happened 2,000 years ago in Acts chapter 4 is what, it should look like, is what things should look like today. We should be together like that. Why? Because there's a whole lot of together in the future. You see, when Jesus comes back the second time, okay, everything changes. And before he comes back physically to this earth the second time, he comes and stops in the clouds and he takes his church home. The spirits of those who are already dead and passed on. Scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you have a friend or a family member who's a Christian and passed away, they're in the presence of God. 
but their body's in a grave somewhere or dust because they cremated them or lost at sea, wherever it's at. There's a day coming. Jesus is going to come back, stop in the cloud, and he's going to resurrect those dead bodies, be reunited with the spirits of those who are with him now. And those of us that remain, according to 1 Thessalonians, are going to be caught up with them in the air. It's called the rapture. And guess what? We're all going to get our glorified bodies, are you ready? Together. We're going to go back to heaven together. We're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb together. Uh, We're going to be rewarded as a group to give our crowns to Jesus together. We're coming back at the second coming to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. We'll do it together. When that thousand years is over, we'll go to heaven and we'll be there forever together. A whole lot of together in what God does. And so we need to practice togetherness because it's God's plan. When you read about future events, really the only thing that I'm aware of where we stand alone is one day we stand before uh, Judge Jesus and give an account for our lives. This is not about salvation. If you stand before Judge Jesus at the first judgment, after the first resurrection, it's, it's not whether you're saved or not. You made the cut. But now we have to answer for our life, okay? If you stand before Judge Jesus at the second resurrection, That's not for your salvation. That's already been determined. You only stand before him so you'll know while you'll spend eternity in judgment, uh, under the judgment of God in a place called hell. Now, I, I say all that to say this. God calls us to be together. We're to move together as a force to be reckoned with. Not just a few here and a few there. If you are a Christian, you are on team Jesus, called into his family to impact your world and to do that. It requires a bold and radical kind of Christianity. And so, be bold. Motivation number six, Jesus created our world. Jesus created our world. That's the motivation. The one we serve, man, created it all. Holds it in. Sometimes we have trouble separating the triune Godhead, right? God the Father, God the Son, whose name is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, one God, three persons, blow my mind, okay? It should blow our mind. Ain't nobody understands that. He's God, and we're not. And this is a God-sized project. But I want you to know about the person of Jesus, the one that we talk about, the one who hung on a cross. He is God the creator, God the sustainer in the person of Jesus. Listen to what it says here. It says, now master of all, verse 24 that means autocrat, despote, uh, ruler of the world who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Motivation comes from the fact that Jesus is our eternal God who came in the flesh to rescue us from sin. And the same Jesus who came and died on a cross is the same Jesus who created and sustained the tree they used to get the wood to hang him on. Now that is a God-sized love. I'm going to grow a tree so you can make a cross and hang me on it to pay for your sin debt. What a story. What a motivation, right? He's the creator of everything. Colossians chapter one, you say, well, that's, that may be a little, bit, a little bit sketch. I don't know if I believe that. Okay, Colossians one, Paul says this, verse 15. 
Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created in him. All things, whether visible or invisible, uh, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or uh, powers, all things were created through him and they were created for him and he himself is before all things and all things are held together in him. We're talking about Jesus. Number seven, another motivation for living a bold Christian life is found in verses 25 through 28. Jesus championed boldness. Jesus championed it for us. In verse 25, it says this, who said, they're they're praying to God and they say, who said by the power of the, by the By the Holy Spirit, through your servant David, our forefather said, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot foolish things? The kings of the earth stood together and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Christ. For indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together in the city against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Now, This was written by David long before Jesus got here and he defined it it with detail that everybody would come against Jesus. Everybody, the rulers of the Jews, the rulers of of Rome, the rulers rulers of the Gentiles, everybody would stand against Jesus. Now, they, they didn't stop praying right here. It's all part of God's plan. I'm a big fan of Adrian Rogers, who's gone on to heaven, but great preacher. This is what he said about this passage. He says, when foolish little men blow up their puny little chest and shake their scrawny little fist in the face of the almighty God, it is foolishness in the highest order. And that's what we have. You see, we live in a world that wants to, that wants to act like we're bigger than God. Act like we have another agenda that is equal to or better than God's sovereign word. They go on in verse 28, and he says this, that all of this happened, verse 28, to do as much as your power and your plan had decided beforehand would happen. Do you see that? Everything that happened to Jesus was a part of God's plan. All of them turning against Jesus, part of God's plan. You see, we live in a world, we live in a Christian world where we have a sovereign God. What does it mean to be a sovereign God? It means categorically he's omniscient. In that word omniscient, omniscient, it's a science, all knowledge. God is all knowledge. That helps him be sovereign, makes him sovereign. Not only omniscient, but he's omnipotent, potent, powerful. He is all powerful. He's omnipresent. He's outside of time and space. That's who our God is, right? So he's sovereign. He, a billion years ago and a billion years in the future is the same to him because he's outside the time continuum. That's why tomorrow when I do something stupid and sin or whatever I do or I do a good thing, a billion years ago, he already knew it. Now, you don't understand that. I don't understand that. That makes God different. That makes God big. That makes God the God that we want to worship, right? And so he's sovereign. Now, so, so in our circles, religious circles today, 
uh, when we read something like this, we start unpacking it and we start defining who we are. And so there are churches in our area, many of them, who believe in a sovereign God to the point that they would be called a reformed church. They are of the persuasion of people like John Calvin and Martin Luther. And so what does that mean? It means God is sovereign. Means he's sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over salvation. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And it's by grace through faith in Christ alone, per scripture alone, that anybody can go to heaven. And we believe the same thing, but they go further. Since God is sovereign, it means he's in control of all things. What does that mean? It means God has already predetermined who in here is going to heaven and who's going to hell. And if he picked you, praise God, he picked you. And if he didn't, kind of stinks to be you. Now, we don't believe that. We don't believe that. Do we believe in a sovereign God? You bet we do. Do do we believe he knows all things, controls all things? You bet we do. Do we believe he's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent? You bet we do. But we believe in the sovereignty of God where he gets the most glory is opening up the door for free will. It means you and I get a choose, uh, get to uh, have a choice. We have a responsibility in the matter to determine what we will do with his grace gift to us. Will we receive it or will we, will we reject it? And so I want you to know today as a church, we believe in a sovereign God. We believe in a God who knows all things, but we believe in a God who allows us the free will to choose whether or not we will receive him or not, okay? Now, in this, we, we know that God is in fact uh, sovereign and, 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 and sovereignty is the stuff made of things outside of human understanding. Understanding what I just said about sovereignty is way outside our pay grade. In, in fact, if you wanna come and talk to me about sovereignty and free will, I'm gonna say, I just told you about all I know. Just kind of summed it up right there. So, so, so if you come and ask me questions, you shoot me an email, I'm gonna send it to Clark. I'm telling Clark run circles around me when it comes to this stuff because he's, he's dove in head first. I mean, he's, he's in there. So, so you can talk to him about it. But it's a big thing. And, and, and the truth is it should serve as a motivating factor for us that Jesus championed persecution and boldness for us and, and knowing full well why he was doing, but doing it all the time. He is sovereign. And so in his boldness, we can be motivated to be bold. Now, here's the thing about sovereignty. When the government makes decisions in opposition to the word of God, they declare themselves sovereign over that. When a culture proclaims a position in opposition to the word of God, they are claiming sovereignty over that position. Every time you and I make a decision that stands in opposition to the word of God, we declare ourselves sovereign in each case. When a man and a woman are engaged in sexual activity outside of marriage union, they claim sovereignty. When a person cheats on his taxes or her taxes, sovereignty. When a person lies or gossips or slanders, sovereign. Peter says, when people plot to do foolish things, claiming to be wise, God uses it to accomplish his eternal sovereign plan. Now, Jesus conquered, converts, cancels, confuses, calls, created, and championed. And number eight, the last one, and we are done. Jesus changes our priorities. Jesus changes our priorities. Verse 32 says, the group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. 
No one said that any of his possessions was his own, but everything was held in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. For there was no one needy among them, because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds from the sales and placing them at the apostles' feet. Now you're thinking this would be a good time for me to ask for offering, right? No. Listen what it says. So Joseph, I say the proceeds were distributed to each as anyone had need. So Joseph, a Levite, who was a native of Cyprus, called by the apostles Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and placed it at the apostles' feet. Another motivating factor is that Jesus comes into our life and he changes our priorities. Listen to me. It's not about your money. This, this message, this point, this scripture, it's not just about your money. I want you to understand something. Jesus didn't die on a cross to redeem your finances. Jesus didn't die on a cross to redeem your marriage. Jesus didn't die on a cross to redeem your career. Jesus died on a cross to redeem your soul. He died on a cross to reach from heaven and reach into the center of your being and make you a brand new person from the inside out. A person who is righteous before God the Father. A person who is acceptable before God the Father. And at the end of the day, when we say radical Christianity, what we're really saying is a Christianity that deserves to be called Christianity. It's time that we as Christians rose up in boldness because there's a world out there dying to hear the message of Jesus, literally dying. So why is it so important? Because the world is listening. And I've never been to a church, and I've been to a lot, where you could walk into the parking lot and literally see a thousand homes. And that's what we see here in this valley. And are there Christians in that valley? Yeah, some of them go here. But based on scripture, more of them are not Christian than those who are. But not only that, moms and dads, you need to have bold Christianity because you have little boys and girls who are watching you. They're listening to you. They're following you. And they need to understand that the Jesus you profess is the Jesus who changes everything. Older men and women like myself who have grandchildren, I have four grandchildren. And they are all four amazing. And you better believe, and they think I hung the moon. They do. And if you tell them different, I'll punch you in the nose. They think I hung the moon, and I think they hung the moon, and they're watching my life. 
I can be doing something with one of them and the other one stop and watch it. I can be talking to adults and they'll run up and they're looking. They're watching my life. We have people in our neighborhoods and on the job site who know that we claim Christianity, but they want to know whether or not it's real. And the realness of your Christianity is what will impact their life for Christ. Don't get me wrong. It's Jesus who changes. It's the word of God and the gospel. That's where the power's at. But the credibility of that comes often from how they watch us and how we live our life. And so that's the challenge for today, that we rise up and that we be bold Christians in a world who needs to see it. I want you to bow your heads today. I want you to know today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, not who he is, not a head knowledge, but if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior today, it all begins right there. In a moment in time, in every life, the Spirit of God has to reach and touch us on the inside and invite us to be a part of his family. Maybe he's done that before, but you rejected it. And maybe it is today that he's inviting you into his family. How do you respond? You begin by confessing that you're a sinner. You can confess that because he knows. In fact, you know, everybody knows because we're all sinners. Then you move to repentance. Repentance is, is where we say, God, I changed my mind. I want to align with your will, your way, and your word moving forward. And then we simply receive. We say, God, I believe that you love me enough to die on a cross, to pay my sin debt, and I receive Jesus into my life. I want to say thank you for saving me today. And then we say, God, I want you to help me live from this day forward for you for the rest of us many of us we've made that decision we've received Christ into our life it's time that we become bold in following Jesus so the world can see that we're not normal we're not traditional we're bold and radical as Christians Father I thank you so much for Acts chapter 4 I thank you so much for the challenge that you give us. I thank you so much for those who are willing to be bold, so bold that they changed their world. And their boldness is still changing the world today. And help us learn from them. Help us dive in the deep end of our Christian pool. Help us live for you different than we ever have in the past. Not for our glory, but for yours. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.